This episode of Rewrites is supported by Audible with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com rewrites. Storyplant Media presents Tony O'Dell's Rewrites. Episode 4, A Promise to Mom. I'll never forget the first time I heard someone say, I don't read. I was seven years old and my mom and Milo and I were waiting in line to see Toy Story 2. And the man behind us had started talking to my mom and their conversation turned to books. Men were always talking to my mom in lines. She was pretty. And I, I was stunned by his declaration. And not only by the content of what he said, but by the way he said it. He, he sounded almost proud. And I asked my mom about it while we were waiting in the next line to get popcorn. Because as far as I was concerned, the only reason a person wouldn't read was because he had some sort of uh, mental handicap, like Ted Niedermeyer, who went to special ed instead of language arts with the rest of my second grade class. And she explained that it wasn't that the man didn't know how to read, but that he chose not to. And that confused me even more. Why, why would someone choose not to read? My mom said it was because he didn't think reading was important. I just, I couldn't let it go. I kept pressing my mom, and she agreed that reading was extremely important, but people had different priorities. For example, uh, keeping our bodies in good shape was important too, but some people didn't play sports, or go for walks in the park, or participate in any kind of physical activity. And like people who didn't read, um, they paid a price. People who didn't exercise were limited in what their bodies could do, just as people who didn't read were limited in what their minds could do. <laughs> and then at that moment, five-year-old Milo spoke up. I didn't, I seriously didn't even know that he had been following our conversation at all. And he said, you mean they have flabby brains? <laughs> and my mom laughed. We all laughed. And she hugged us both hard. And then after the movie, we went straight to a Barnes and Noble. Of course, that was back when they sold books. When we originally decided on the format for rewrites, Clive and I agreed that the judges panel at the end of the episode should be live. Since our show centered around what many would consider to be a fairly tame occupation, we wanted to add an element of risk and the excitement and authenticity that only happens when you're not going to be given a second chance. Also, what better way to embrace what had become our team motto? You never know what's going to happen. Ten minutes before we were supposed to shoot, and we were experiencing just that. Our host, Karen Stevens, a senior editor at Simon & Schuster, hadn't shown up, and we hadn't been able to get in touch with her. Hello. Excuse me, are you Theo? Yes. I'm Sylvie Maitland, Karen Stevens' personal assistant. Oh, God. Thank God. Oh, my God. I was really starting to panic. We shoot in ten minutes. Where, where's Karen? I'm sorry, but Miss Stevens isn't coming. She's completely backed up with meetings and couldn't make today's appointment. What? No, sorry. This, this is not an appointment. She's supposed to host a TV show. I'm aware. Miss Stevens has brought me up to speed. 
I'll be filling in for her. What? Excuse me, but I have to take this call. I cannot believe this. Theo, we have a small problem. Yeah, well, we have a bunch of problems, Eric. What's one more? Have you seen what the writers are wearing? No. I mean, well, yes. I mean, I greeted them when they arrived. I didn't pay attention to their clothes. What? What? Is something wrong? Tracy looks amazing. She's wearing this pink boucle suit with black trim and sky-high pumps. Very chic. Great. (laughs) And Carver looks great in a blazer and button-down shirt. Very collegiate. Fine. What? But Echo... Our beautiful little Echo, who should be the heartthrob of the show, is dressed like a homeless person, and she wouldn't let her makeup girl touch her. And Brandy is wearing plaid leggings and a neon blue zebra print blouse. Bill couldn't look more rumpled. He looks like he slept in his clothes. That's kind of... And Ace... Oh, my God, Ace, he's dressed like Bruno Mars. Do you see him over there? Oh, well, is that a gold lame jacket? Yes, and a pork pie hat. Well, how did this happen? They're all grown-ups. We thought they could dress themselves. Hey, ready to rock and roll? Oh, I don't know, Clive. In case you didn't notice, our host never showed up, and she sent her personal assistant instead. I'm sure she'll be fine. You don't have to be a genius to host a TV show. No, that's not the point. We wanted Did to you have see the... what Ace is wearing? Yes. yes. He looks freaking awesome. I'm back. Where do you want me? I'm sorry. Look, Miss... Maitland. Call me Sylvie. Look, Sylvie, no offense, but you're a personal assistant. And there's a certain prestige attached to a senior editor at Simon & Schuster, and that's why we wanted Karen. I assure you, I'm more her than she is. Great. Well, I guess we don't have a choice. Your lines will be on the teleprompter. Just tell the audience that you're filling in for Karen tonight. Don't worry. I'm very good at improvising. What? No, no, no. No. No improvising. You read what's on the prompter. Eric will show you where to go. Deep breaths, Mr. Producer. The pre-recorded stuff was great. This is the last five minutes of the show. I'm back in again. In five, four, three, two... Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rewrites and our very first judging panel. We hope you've enjoyed the show so far. I'm Sylvie Maitland, filling in for Karen Stevens. They say behind every great man is a woman. Well, behind every great editor is a grossly underpaid, hyper-organized, vassar-educated assistant with enough family money to allow her to pursue a career in publishing. I am she. Don't underestimate my power. What? I told her no improvising. Chill. Out. You've already met the writers. Let's meet our judges. Dora Halston needs no introduction. She's the author of over 200 romance novels that have spent a combined 842 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, including 125 weeks in the number one spot. Her legions of readers are so addicted to her work, they're called Doraholics. Hi, y'all. So glad to be here. Our next judge is the undisputed master of the macabre, having sold over 350 million copies of his novels that have also been adapted into films, miniseries, TV shows, and even comic books. He's won countless awards and has been responsible for countless nightmares. The king of horror, Richard Duke. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. 
And finally, our guest judge for this week. J.D. Jansen has written ten sprawling satirical family dramas. His latest novel, Restitution, received widespread critical acclaim and was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. He's also a well-known essayist, having contributed pieces to The New Yorker and Vanity Fair on subjects as varied as the proliferation of ebooks to the disintegration of Europe. Uh, yeah, yes, it looks like one of our writers has a question. What, what is she doing? No, the writers aren't allowed to ask questions. It's no big deal. You're ace, right? Yeah. So Europe's disintegrating? Oh, for God's sake, Ace, don't look so worried. It's not the same thing as melting. That was funny. Yeah, or was it mean? Doesn't matter. It's reality TV, and Carver can be a real jerk sometimes. That's a reality. Onward and upward. Our first writer today is Bile Graham. Oh, <laughs> Let's see if Bill beats her up like he did those guys back in boot camp. Bile is from Coal Run, West Virginia, and his novel, Coal Run, is about a young man from a coal mining town fighting in the Vietnam War. It's, uh, Bill. Thank heavens. It's pronounced Bill. Bill, I have to tell you, I'm very impressed with what I've read of your novel so far. It's poignant, it's gripping, the writing is... Excuse me, you're breaking the format of the show. He's supposed to give us his metaphor first. He's right, Shug. This isn't the Richard Duke critiques your novel show. (laughs) Today's metaphor topic is love or the one you love. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, Thank you. Before I faced the endless sins of war... I used to view women as a bunch of parts with obscene and silly names. But she is one slow, seamless stroke of flesh with only one name. Savior. That was beautiful, Bill. Gorgeous. The alliteration works very well. Uh, yes. Ace, you have another question? Yeah, what's alliteration? Oh, dear. When a string of words in a sentence start with the same letter. Thank you, Bill. You can have a seat. That was Now we have Echo Dunleavy. Mm. Echo is 24 and a waitress who lives in New York City. And that's all she'll tell us about herself. Her novel is entitled Mr. Snugglepuss. It's about a man who wakes up one day and discovers he's turned into a cat. It is sweetheart. I love that scene when Mr. Snugglepuss meets his first dog. (laughs) I just about busted a gut. Your style is economical and understated, but surprisingly Mm. thoughtful. There's a lot of depth to it. Excuse me, uh, who's breaking the format now? We are breaking the format. Echo, would you read us your metaphor? Love is an open bodega at 2 a.m. when you're out of cat litter and sriracha. This is a contemporary, fun metaphor that expresses an aspect of love we don't often think about. That the person we love fulfills our most basic needs. Mm, I like it too, and I love the idea for your novel. How did you come up with it? I was watching my cat and wondered what it would be like to be a cat. 
<laughs> it's original. <laughs> I'll give you that. It is inspired. Now, the best writing comes from following your heart, throwing caution to the wind, and seeing where your imagination takes you. <laughs> what, you got a problem, J.D.? Only that you, of all people, are going to encourage her to embrace the muse. <laughs> this from a woman who describes her own writing process as ass in chair. Oh, yeah, the phrase ass in chair can also be used to describe having you here as a judge. Hmm. <laughs> I've heard you don't even have chairs in your house anymore. You just sit on big piles of money. <laughs> what are you sitting on these days? A park bench, a curb, your mother's Couch? I, I'd add a newspaper to your park bench, maybe maybe some broken glass to your curb. It gets your point across better, that he's homeless. Are you critiquing my imagery? I am known for my imagery. Oh, no, no, your imagery's great. <laughs> yes, oh no, that's right. No one describes six-pack abs the way you do. Okay, everyone, okay, okay, okay. I think we need to get back to the competition. Thank you, Echo. Next, we have Ace Van Landingham. What? A Ace Van Landingham? That's his name is Alvarez. I love Ace. Hey. Ace is 22 years old and lives in the Bronx with his mom and stepdad. Two sisters, some of their kids, but none of their baby daddies. And his brother, Ja Power. Nobody has a job right now except for him and his mom, who has three. He had his own room up until last week when Ja Power got out of prison and decided he wanted the room all to himself. The family asked him to move out because no one wants to make Ja Power angry. I mean, you ask me who I am, that's, that's who I am, though. Ace's novel is an untitled murder mystery set in the Bronx and Hollywood during award season. I have to tell you, Ace, you're... Novel's hard to follow. It jumps around a lot, and I can't for the life of me find a plot. But that said, you do make some unique observations. Uh, plot issues can be worked out. I disagree. I'm sorry, Ace, but the whole thing is a mess. There's no story. <laughs> well. Do you have a problem? Only that someone who writes pompous bull spit no one can understand purely to impress people with his intellect is going to tell this young man he has no story? When have you ever told a story? All of my novels tell a story and have stories within <laughs> stories. Really? Which is, which is more than I can say for you. <gasps> you have one story that you've written 200 times. The denouement for every one of your novels is exactly the same. The vacuous pretty girl gets the vacuous pretty boy. Hey, buddy. Denouement this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did Dora Halston just give J.D. Jansen the finger? Oh, my God. Can we edit that out? Welcome to live TV. Should I read my metaphor? Yes, or? go ahead. Putting my hand up Zoe Kravitz's shirt was like walking through the murder block. Dangerous. Drastic. But the most direct way to get to where I was heading. That is some good writing And I even did some alliterating before I even knew what it was. <laughs> I disagree. I didn't like it. I think you're being a little hard on him. It was smart and original. I'm here as a judge. I'm judging him. And what do you know about originality? The protagonist in all your novels is a writer. Oh, how original is that? Back off, Jerome. You don't want to get into it with me. 
Oh, what are you going to do? Write me into one of your novels where I'll be chased around by every horror cliche imaginable Ooh. before eventually succumbing to the bloody fangs of one of your puerile plot twists. Oh, maybe you could write me into one of your novels. I could use the sleep. What is going on? Should I try to stop this? Don't you dare. You're a huckster who churns out pap to feed the ignorant masses. You're a bitter, elitist, nobody reads. All you care about is money. You've exploited your novels in every way imaginable. I don't exploit my novels. Ha! The only thing your books haven't been adapted into is an app. Oh, that's not true, J.D. He has an app. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, of course you don't see anything wrong with that. You're a writer who has her own line of bath products. Mm, well, I can't help it if my readers want to smell like my books. Mm. I can't watch this. I can't. That's okay. You are not the target audience. Hi, I'm Tony O'Dell, the author of Rewrites. If you love books as much as Theo and I do, then you need to check out Audible. Audible has an unmatched selection of audio novels and nonfiction, as well as original shows, news, comedy, and much more provided by leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazines, and newspapers. The choices on Audible are vast, but in my opinion, the best place to start is with the six Tawny O'Dell novels available from Audible, including my New York Times bestseller, Backroads. With Audible, you never have to be without a book, which, as you've discovered while listening to rewrites, is an idea Theo would strongly support. With Audible, it's even possible to switch between reading a book on your Kindle, listening to it on your Echo, or listening to it through the Audible app without ever losing your place or missing a word. Rewrites listeners can get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com rewrites. Your free audiobook can be any title you'd like, though, again, those Tony O'Dell novels are a great place to start. So go to audible.com slash rewrites and browse the tremendous selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening now. Or wait, finish listening to this episode of rewrites first. I, I'm sorry, I, uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> he was so overwhelmed by the show, he's speechless. <laughs> no, 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 that's not, that's not the reason why. I don't, I don't know what to say because that was... That was embarrassing. Uh, well, wait a minute. Embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, I think I understand now why it was so easy to get three major authors to be judges. Because I was naive enough to think that you actually believed in our message. Well, we're, you, we're, that we're, you we're, we're, wanted to help save the written word and give other writers a chance. When really all you wanted, all you guys want that's is a TV audience so you could talk about yourselves and try to one-up each other. Oh. Now, hold on no. there, Slugger. Oh, you're just you a little... No, you hold on. I think a monkey could have done better. And as a matter of fact, we have one lined up. No, Shug, you really need to calm down. No offense, no offense, Miss Halston, but I think I have every reason to be upset. Sugar, call me Dora. No, I don't want to call you Dora. I want to call you Miss Halston because I want to show you respect. 
Nobody has respect for anything anymore. I assumed, I assumed the three of you would have respect for the responsibility that I gave you. And for these writers who all look up to you. And for this. Where is your respect for this? The Three Musketeers? <laughs> oh, this is a fantastic book. Yeah, I remember the first time I read it. Summer between 8th and ninth grade. I had a crush on Jenny Callahan. I made her the heroine of this short story about th these giant mutant leeches that inhabited the town's swimming hole and were killing people by covering them with their disgusting gray, rubbery, gelatinous bodies and piercing them with millions of tiny teeth and sucking them dry of all their blood. <laughs> she never went out with me. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, as action novels go, The Three Musketeers is undeniably one of the best. Although, when taking into consideration the entire oeuvre of Duma, I prefer the story arc of the Count of Monte Cristo. Well, I must confess I never read the book. I guess I never felt a need after seeing the movie. Wait, yeah. Which one? There are so many. Well, I have seen them all. I like the candy bar better. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, so Excuse good. me. So fluffy. Is this a joke to you? Have books become nothing more than a profitable product to you? Have you forgotten their importance? Don't you... Don't you remember what it felt like the first time a person told you how much they loved a book you wrote? Maybe they said thank you. Maybe they urged you to write another one. Wasn't it the same as if they had said, I love you? Didn't you feel a connection with that person, that total stranger, even you, Mr. Duke, Mr. Jansen, and Miss Halston, even you, with your big houses and your stock portfolios and awards and sycophants, don't you still feel alone sometimes? Utterly alone? I do. Hmm? Especially when I'm on the subway packed in with all those people. That's irony, right? Yes, it is. That's irony. Novels let us experience the immenseness of our world while absorbed in the intimate world of the individual. Just think about how incredible that is. Authors take a simple story and then without us even realizing it, they make us think about everything we value and abhor, everything we question and know for sure. When I finish reading a great novel, my connection to humanity is revived. I feel hopeful and restored in a way that, ironically, can't be put into words. And people who can do that, to me, those people are angels. I'm sorry. I guess I've probably been overthinking again. Theo, Theo, wait up. Please, I just want to be alone. Fine, I understand. Could you just give me a minute? No! Okay, okay, but before I go, can I ask you if you've ever read To Kill a Mockingbird? What? Of course I have! It's one of the most beloved stories of all time, but it also did more to help alleviate racial tensions in this country than countless civil rights rallies and speeches by politicians and activists. I know! What is your point? You claim your motivation for doing this show is to try to get people to read more and thereby help to prevent the fall of civilization. When Harper Lee wrote her novel, 
The intent was not to impact social policy and change the world. She wanted to tell a story about a place and, and people she obviously loved. I think there is an underlying To Kill a Mockingbird reason why you're doing this show. My mom was a writer. I didn't know that. Leela Buckley? She wrote under her maiden name. Leela Buckley is your mother. She's a wonderful writer. I teach one of her novels in my Intro to American Lit class. <laughs> she was a brilliant writer. But as she liked to say, being compared to Steinbeck does not pay the mortgage. She actually... <laughs> she had this little routine she'd do for my brother and me whenever there'd be some unexpected expense. Well, those new tires are going to cost you a thousand dollars, ma'am. But, sir, <laughs> the New York Times says my characters are at once brutal and tender, baffling and wise. They will hold you transfixed. Well, hell, I guess those tires are on the house. <laughs> <laughs> she had one bestseller early in her career, but most of her books didn't do well commercially, and we were always struggling. What about your father? My dad is a schmuck. I see. All she wanted to do was be a writer, and she was amazing at it, but she just, she couldn't make a living doing it. And that's all she wanted, to make a living. She didn't even want to aspire to be a Richard Duke or a Dora Halston. And it killed me to see her under so much pressure and know it was all my fault. What do you mean? Kids cost a lot of money. If she never had my brother and me, she could have lived off the money from her books. She could have spent more time writing. I don't know your mother, but I'm a parent too. I'm pretty sure she would tell you that she considers you and your brother to be a far more important legacy than any of her novels. I know, and she used to say things like that. I'm sorry, but I have to ask. You use the past tense. Last year, cancer. She kept it from us for as long as she could. You know, typical mom. She didn't want to worry us. And it happened so fast. One day your mom's teasing you about a girl you want to ask out. And then the next she's giving you passwords to her bank accounts. She's telling you that that ugly pink teapot in the china cabinet belonged to her great-grandma. And make sure it stays in the family. I'm very sorry. And the show was her idea. We used to talk about it a lot, especially near the end. It always made her laugh. And I've just... I've been trying so hard. And I don't want the last promise I made to her to have been a lie. What was the promise? To make the show? I promised that I could bear the loss of her. For a complete list of cast and crew and a free download of our theme song, Between the Lines, visit our website, rewritespodcast.com. <laughs>